Okay, so we started this last year, but today we're going to honor Pastor Logan and Kira today for all they do for our youth. Um, as we've said, it's a volunteer position, so um, let's show them how much we appreciate them, and we're going to take a love offering for them a little later in the service. And then if you follow your church calendar, which I hope you all do, um, we're going to have a change in the calendar today. Um, we're going to be doing a fish fry. I think Danny and Chuck are heading that up. Um, so there's going to be a fish fry today at 4 p.m. Um, everyone's invited, but because of the fish fry, we're not going to be doing prayer and worship tonight. So come out to the fish fry. Um, Chuck and Bob, I think, made us some fish last year. Uh, I don't remember, but it was very, very good. So come out to that. And then um, precepts, we have Tuesday at 9 a.m. here at the church. See Carol if you have any questions about that. Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 p.m. Um, we have dinner for the kids at 6.30. Um, I don't know what I'm doing yet. Last week I knew, so I was proud of myself, but it'll be something good, something kid-friendly. And then um, we're still planning our trunk or treat on October 31st. Um, if anyone wants to donate candy, we did have a generous donor um, give money, and so we have a good amount of candy, but I think when it comes to kids, you can never have enough. So if you want to donate some candy, um, let me know. And then if you want to bring your church up, or your church, <laughs> bring your car to the church, um, and you could um, decorate it. And I was talking to Pastor about this, but I thought it would be fun maybe to have like a, a contest on the best car and maybe you could do like a gift card or something for the um, winner. Um, and then again, just asking if anybody wants to help with Children's Church on Sunday mornings, um, let me know. It's not, um, I can get materials, it's just needing one more person to kind of help. Um, give me and Lois and Apple some help with that. And then um, we're not going to hound you with this this year. But um, we have our church calendars that are $8 a piece. Um, you can make checks to Women's Ministry. They're beautiful. If you want to look at one, see Lois. Um, we always enjoy getting one every year. And then Lois passed out some flyers this morning with information about Shop Till You Drop. So if you didn't get one, please see Lois. And um, that's this Saturday. We're going to be setting up Friday at 3.30. So... If you can come help, that would be great. If you can't, just come and support and buy something. We really appreciate that. And then um, another thing we're doing is next Sunday, um, we're going to have a game night here at the church. Um, so bring a snack and a game. And we're just hoping this is a good time of laughter and fellowship. If you have any questions, you can see myself or Pastor Justin about that. Serve a good, good God. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. This time, and they don't know this, at least I haven't talked to them about it, but Logan, if you'll put up the next slide, I believe. Yes. And then if you and Miss Kira would come. Uh, this is the first time that they have been in church as a married couple. Which is pretty awesome. They still look married, they still look happy, so week one down. <laughs> yeah. A little early to tell, yes. <laughs> but these two, they do so much behind the scenes that, that I don't think a majority of people are aware of. They... Uh, help us with setup. They run errands. They're, they're checking on people. They're uh, dropping food off to people. They are running the sound. Um, they're keeping me awake at night. They're doing a whole lot of things that you guys don't know about. Uh, but they really do have a heart for children. And, and it's been a kind of a crazy last little bit, just trying to get settled in jobs and in a marriage and everything on top of it. But um, from the bottom of my heart, I am proud of you too. Um, I know that the Lord has great things in store, and I am excited to get there with you. Um, you know, a vacation every once in a while was not a bad idea. 
No. But we just, we love you guys. And, and I just want to tell you that every time that the Lord calls you deeper and deeper, it requires more and more. And so if you will commit yourselves to keep doing what you're doing, to, to, to figuring out how to change and adapt and, and to put up with me, uh, which, thank God, Jessica makes it pretty easy on that side, but if you will commit to do that, then you will grow and you will grow. And when you grow, your students will grow. And when your students will grow, your youth group will grow. So we love you. We appreciate you. You want to say anything? She says that she, she loves them. Um, she can't say it in the mic for some reason. I'm not sure why. But um, no, but we do want to thank you guys. And, and it is all voluntary, and you guys have put a lot of hours in behind the scenes. And, and so, uh, from a pastor's heart, I respect that. I appreciate that. And uh, at this time, we're gonna, I'm going to ask the council to come up, if they would. And then I want to just pray over them. And then uh, we'll do kind of like what we do with communion, where you're just welcome to come over here. If you have a love offering, there will be something, a place that you can give that. Uh, but give them a high five, give them a handshake, give them a hug. Uh, just let them know that you appreciate them. So if you two will step right here for a second. Council, this is your one time to really lay hands on these guys. So, <laughs> how, I mean, we are definitely a church that believes in leaning on our hands, and there's not really much stipulation on that. I have so, a response, and it's usually fight. I'm just saying. We'll, we'll use the oil for cure. <laughs> All right. Heavenly Father, God, as we lay hands on these two, Father, I thank you for their hearts, God, for what they've done so far. God, I pray that you would continue to draw them uh, to you, God, that you would continue to. Uh, mature them, Father, to, to draw their faith deeper and deeper and deeper, God. And I pray that you would prepare them for what is to come, Father. God, they uh, really are fighting battles that um, a majority of us have never fought. We haven't had to deal with the issues that uh, the, the children and youth of, of today have to deal with. And so, God, they need your wisdom and discernment. God, they need the very mind of Christ in order to effectively minister. And so I pray that as we are here, as we are laying hands on them, that you would Renew their hearts, renew their minds, God, renew their spirits. God, that you would call them deeper and deeper, and that every time that they answer that call, God, that you would work more and more in their life. God, I pray that you would give them words to say, to heal broken hearts, God, that you would give them hands that can, that can heal those that feel unloved. God, that you would give them uh, the ability, God, to, to minister to a vast variety of needs, Father. We lift them up to you, God. We thank you for them. We appreciate them. May you have your way in their lives, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So, if you want to, uh, Miss Jessica, if you will go on that side, please. We'll just kind of start over here, and you're welcome to uh, come along the line. I personally will not say anything if there's a shin kick or two. That's, that's up to you guys. But just... Let them know you love them. Let them know you appreciate them. It's not easy to be in ministry, and it's not easy to, to do what they do. So, um. uh, We just want to say how much we love and appreciate each and every one of you. It's hard to believe that we've been here eight months and like five days. It's been a crazy and wild eight months, but we appreciate and love every single one of y'all. Y'all have brought us in like family and treated us like family, and we hope that we have uh, done the same, mentoring uh, the youth of this uh church and loving on them and leading them in their relationship with Christ, but also every Sunday morning getting to see every single one of your smiling faces and us coming in the presence of the Lord as a church family standing in unity with one another as pastor's going to preach on later, you know, a little spoof, a little spoiler, but <laughs> I'm sorry. But we love and appreciate every single one of you, and uh, we can't wait to see what the rest of this year and the rest of uh, however long we are here takes us. We just, we will be here as Stop talking. <laughs> oh. Y'all know I don't need this. Um, I get nervous when I get a mic, and it makes no sense. Like, I could talk without it, but, like, hearing my own self makes me really nervous. But I, we, 
Okay, cool. All right, perfect. Whew, I feel better knowing the pastor gets nervous with it too. We really do appreciate y'all and the love you have shown, Brian, Sean, especially from like me to you guys. Thank you guys so much for letting me live in your house because we really couldn't have moved here if like you guys didn't open your door. Danny Apple, you were going to let this crazy guy come and live with y'all. I'm glad he found an apartment though because y'all <laughs> could have been bad. Tragic for y'all. But Thank y'all so much. Seriously, like the overwhelming love you guys have for us is amazing. Like I didn't, I didn't know it could like somebody could love people this much. But thank you guys so much for absolutely everything. You guys are amazing. That's all I got. Love y'all. There is Children's Church. Uh, anybody that wants to go can go with Miss Apple. We were trying to give Logan a, a present, a minister's meeting, and get him on the youth board. And he, he escaped out of that, but it was close. But that would have been pretty, pretty good to get him on there. So if you will turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 4, we are going to walk through that chapter. So Ephesians chapter 4. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you would help me today, Father, that you would give me the words to say. God, that I would correctly interpret Scripture. God, that I would uh, speak the truth of Scripture as it is meant to be spoken. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move me out of the way, that you would use my mouth. And God, that everything that is said and done would bring glory and honor to you. And it's in the precious name of Jesus Christ I pray. Amen. So we are going to go through Ephesians chapter 4. And, and the title, I don't know if you have this title in your Bible, but in my Bible is Walk in Unity. And uh, I've been really struggling the last few weeks with um, just how to, how to get this sermon to, to come forth. But when we went to minister's meeting, I, uh, it was absolutely amazing. I, I've never experienced that much unity in a room ministries in my life. I've, I've never experienced it at a camp meeting. I've never experienced it at any other meeting. And as we got together, um, an overwhelming sense of the presence of the Lord entered that church. And I can honestly say that I believe that every minister left knowing that God has a plan. And that is a, it, is, it is a plan that will take us being unified as we walk forth. And as I was thinking about that and thinking about um, this in general, I want you to understand today that God has a plan for this church. That we don't just come and gather and go home Sunday after Sunday. That we exist for a reason that God has a plan, and that this is how we get to the fruition of that plan. And so you could almost call it a Vision Sunday sermon, but it's just not on Vision Sunday. Um, so turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Paul's writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So I'm just going to break these down. We'll just go section by section. But Paul, a prisoner of the Lord, we're all prisoners of the Lord, but he says, I beseech you. And, and the important thing to understand is that because it's not just Paul writing, it's not Paul that's beseeching, it's the Lord that's beseeching. And the Lord is beseeching us to, to walk worthy of the calling with which we were called. And so what is that calling? It's to walk in peace with one another. And that's one of the hardest things that you'll ever get to do in a church. And the thing is, is that I want you, as we go through this, and, and we're going to get a little personal, but to, to go ahead and look around the room at different times. See who's here, people you know, people you don't know, people you might know well, people you might only know by name, and think about how else in the world you would wind up in the same place week after week if it was not for God. Because a lot of us don't run in the same circles. And it's God that brings us together and allows us to be a family. So he wants us to walk worthy of the calling. And that, that, that idea to walk worthy means that there's a calling that's worthy of walking according to. And that calling is, is to, to follow after Christ. We know that we're called. We know that we did not choose our salvation. We did not uh, demand it. We did not get God's attention and say, hey, I'm over here. We know that God called us 
God saved us, God has redeemed us, and God has empowered us. And he goes further and he says uh, that we're to walk in this calling with all lowliness, right, and gentleness. So we don't walk into this church with an air of authority and and an air of, of, I've got it figured out. We come in as servants seeking to serve each other. We come in understanding that if it was not for the grace of God, that we would not be where we are in the first place. We come in with the understanding that, that we need to have gentleness and lowliness because without Christ himself having gentleness and lowliness, we would not have a Savior. And so we're modeling what Christ has modeled for us. And he says, with long-suffering, this is good, but this is hard. Because I don't know about you, but long-suffering <laughs> means exactly what it says, long-suffering. You suffer long a long time with those that you are with in the hopes that as they grow into maturity and you grow into maturity, you no longer have to do that with them. So long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. This means that you take all those things together, you mix them up, and you carry each other's burdens. Now think about it this way. What if God had a church and everybody that went to that church was the most lovable person you've ever met? Would you grow as a Christian? If everybody was the most lovable, if they never did anything wrong, if they never had a, a tone that was out of order, if they never had words that came out of their mouth that they couldn't stop, if they never opened their mouth and inserted foot, if, if they were just absolutely perfect, would you grow as a Christian? And the answer is probably not. Because it's in the mix of, of this. It's, it's in the mix of learning to love each other. It's in the mix of of giving people the benefit of the doubt when they, when they offend you. It, it's in the mix of all these things that we learn how to love like Christ's love. Because Christ loved the unloved. And so those that are, are hard to love, those that, that get underneath your skin, those that kind of rile you up, God has them here for a reason. It's to grow you as a Christian. And the other thing is, is that nobody walks through these doors perfect. Me least of all. I don't walk through these doors perfect. I walk through these doors with everything that I've gone through in a week. I walk through with uh, whether my kids got up in this, mo- this morning in the, in the right manner, whether I, I slept good, whether uh, all these other things you bring in with you. And we all do that. And so when we come into this room, we come in not different, but the same, with different problems. He says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That word endeavoring means working. When you endeavor after something, you work for something. It's not something that just happens. It's something you've got to work for to keep the unity of the Spirit. Church, this tells me right here that there is a unity of the Spirit that we are to seek for. We serve a triune God. Imagine if there was disunity in the Godhead. I mean, there can't be, but imagine that. It'd be absolute chaos. And so that peace that bond, that unity of the Spirit that God wants us to have means that in spite of all those things that we are one body united in one purpose and one mind. He goes further. He says, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Count how many times he says the word one in that passage. Underline it in your Bible if you have it. Right? One body. We make up one body. One spirit. One hope. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. One God. Seven. Seven times he mentions this. One body signifies that we are one body. We we cannot claim to be part of the body of Christ and part of this local church and then stay separate from it. Okay? One spirit. There is one spirit at work in all of us to bring us to this goal, this goal of unity. We are called in one hope. There is only one hope. His name is Jesus. Without him, we have no salvation. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. What Paul's doing is Paul's going to build his argument, and he's saying that because there is one God and Father of all, who is above all, who is higher than all, who stands well above anybody, and is through all and in us all, that therefore we should walk in the unity of the Spirit. 
And Paul's going to pull this out deeply as we go. But why do you think unity matters? Why do you think unity among believers matters? Some questions are easier answered when you look at the opposite. What does disunity of believers allow? Horrific things to happen among believers that should never happen. It allows the devil a doorway right into the church. It allows him access to your relationships. It allows him access to your heart. When you have disunity in the body of Christ, you're not glorifying God. You're shaking hands with the devil. And so as much as it depends on you, if everybody in here understands this, as much as it depends on us personally to not have disunity in the body, that's as much unity as we will have. The sad thing is, is it takes one person to decide that they don't want to be unified and there's not unity. Going further, he says, he's going to talk about spiritual gifts. He says, but to each one of us, each one of us in this room, Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. So I'm going to stop there for a minute. So Christ descended on high. Philippians talks about this. How he, he gave up his, his, his rightful role in, in his place, and he came and was born among men, and he lived among men, and, and he walked this earth. He descended to the lower parts of the earth. He walked this earth. And, and then he ascended. And when he ascended, he gave gifts. And he gave gifts to the church in the form of a way to build up the church. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. He gave these gifts to be used. It's in his grace that these gifts are given. Uh, the next few verses are going to answer the, the why that those gifts were given. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, that's the first one, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity, there's that word unity again, of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We're going to stop there. All those gifts are given for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. How does that happen without unity? And the answer is it does not. If you don't have unity, no matter how well you are equipped, Satan's going to hinder everything you do. For the edifying of the body of Christ. So it's given for the equipping and the edifying. And the point of that is that we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And if I was to ask anybody here today, are you a perfect man or woman? I don't think you could say yes. But the point is, is that we are to grow and endeavor after that, to seek to grow in the Lord, to seek to be changed and, and moved. And I'm telling you that, I was explaining it to somebody, it's like, it's like a layer of onions. Onions have layer after layer after layer. And, and God works with us that way. He doesn't do everything all at once. He, he causes us to come together and he causes us to, to make mistakes and, and, and to say the wrong thing and to do the wrong thing. One, so that we remain humble and we understand what it means to actually ask people for forgiveness. Two, so that those that we have hurt have to find a way to love us through that hurt. And it's all for the equipping because if we can't even love each other, how in the world can we love those people out there? And, and here's, here's the, the, the goal behind the sermon is to get us to understand that there's a lot of ministry right now that's being poured into this church. It needs to be switched so that the ministry can be poured outside of this church. But church, if we are not unified on the inside, we're not going to be unified on the outside. If we're not unified on the inside, when people walk in, they might be hindered in getting what they need from the Lord because the Lord is still having to work amongst us. And so there is a big reason why we need to take this seriously and why each and every one of us after the sermon should go home and look themselves in the mirror and say, God, show me what I need to see. Because it takes unity. He goes further. He says that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Paul says something along the lines of this. When I was a child, I thought I was a child, but I'm no longer a child. I'm now a man. 
And so there comes a point where we stop all the little stuff, the little differences, the ones that, that we know don't matter, the ones that, that might get under our skin, but they, they're, not, they're not wrong in a biblical sense. They're just different. And can I tell you that God does allow for a vast variety of differences among believers. There are core doctrines that have to stay the same. But there's secondary issues that should never separate believers. And so when we get to this, we need to understand that, that the goal of this unity, the goal of, of God putting us together in a body, the goal of the Spirit of God working in us is that we would no longer be children. In other words, that we would grow into maturity, that we would not be tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. You should hear some of the stuff that's coming out of pulpits today. You should hear the vast differences in beliefs that are out there. There is every wind of doctrine available to man being preached on a Sunday. A lot of it is by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. If you spend time in your word and if you submit yourself to the scriptures, that's the best way you can begin to grow into maturity. It's the best way that you can begin to grow into unity because you will not be caught off guard by the things men say that are not in scripture. If you don't know scripture to begin with, you don't know if what they're saying is right or wrong. If you know scripture, you know if what they're saying is right or wrong. And so that's the beginning part. Verse 15 says, instead of doing all of what, what we talked about in verse 14, we should instead, it says, but speaking the truth in love. I want to stop there for a minute. I should have sent something out that talked about putting steel-toed boots on today. I did not. Your pain will be on me. Speaking the truth is not enough. Anybody can speak the truth that has the truth. Have you ever had somebody come into your life and speak a truth, but they did it in such a way that it was so hurtful that it didn't help, it hindered? You cannot separate this. It says, but speaking the truth in love. What does that mean? It means you don't do it for your own good. You do it because you love people, because you want people to know and, and, and to grow into Christ. It says that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. God forbid that we ever forget that Christ is the head of his church. See, it's not, it's not that there's no authority in the church. It's that God has structured authority in a church. I will stand before God on a much stricter scale than those that are not pastors will. But you will also stand before God because Christ is the head of the church and Christ will judge his church. And so when you think about speaking the truth in love, it's not just because you have something true to say that you're allowed to say it. It's that you have the love behind the truth that compels you to say it in the right way. Verse 16, from whom the whole body, each and every one of us, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, we all have something that we can give, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now, this is interesting because, and I'm not sure when it happened, but somehow we moved into this idea that the pastor is the one that grows the church. That's not the pastor's primary job. The pastor's primary job is to grow you. Okay, I'm, I'm to feed the sheep. I'm not to go out and get sheep to bring in to feed. I'm to feed the sheep I have. Listen to this. From the whole body, joined and knit together, so we're connected whether we like it or not, by whatever joint supplies, everybody has something that they can give, according to the effective working, which means that if we want to be effective, we're going to do this. We're going to all do our part, do our share. We all have a share in this church. That's what causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. You want your church to grow? Be unified to those that you're not unified with. You want to grow personally? Be unified to those that you're not unified with. And what he does in the first 16 verses is he sets up the last half of the chapter. Everything I'm about to say from this point forward falls on unity. So if you think that we can get what we need to get to in verses 17 through 32 without unity, we can't. Unity comes first. 
And so that means that That means that we really need to sit down and decide if the things we have against our brothers or sisters are biblical things or personal things. If they're biblical things, then we go to them and we speak the truth in love, hoping that they'll see that and they'll grow and change into into more Christ-like maturity. If it's a personal thing that we have an issue with, and it's not a biblical thing, but we come to a brother or sister in Christ and we talk to them like we're going to speak on behalf of Christ about a non-biblical thing that's a personal issue that we have, I promise you it's not God that's going to be sitting next to your shoulder. It's the devil. Because the devil loves disunity. The devil would love to dismantle what God has built. And so if you have an issue with somebody and it's a personal thing, it might be your heart that's wrong. It might not even be them. If you have a personal thing against somebody, then you actually have an obligation to go to that person no matter what. The problem is, is that in most churches, this is how it works, is that we have a problem with somebody, and instead of going to that person, we separate ourselves from that person. And we separate ourselves a little bit more. And eventually, Uh, there's a separation that exists. It's known. It's not talked about. It's awkward at church, but you put on your church face and you go about your business. That right there can grow into bitterness. We're going to talk about bitterness in a little bit. That can grow into bitterness. Bitterness can grow into unforgiveness. Meaning that even if that person was to switch that personal thing that bothers you so much, you've created so much separation that is now the separation you enjoy and not the issue that you have. The devil loves to get in the mix of us. I tell Jessica all the time, she'll say something, and I'll do it, and I get in trouble for doing it. And she says, will you, how how do you say it? I'm going to forget. Nope. No, not that one. Wrong one. (laughs) That's not where we're going. But she'll say something along the lines of like, you know what I meant? I'll say, I heard what you said. And so sometimes what we say isn't what we mean. And we need to give each other enough grace. If, if that can happen in a marriage, that can happen walking down the hallway of the church. My goodness. I, I promise you that there's times where, and Jessica can testify this more so than anybody else, you can look me dead in the face and talk to me. And I'll say, mm-hmm, I have no idea what you said. I don't. I have no idea on half the things I've agreed to. It's kind of scary. So just because somebody comes up to you and says something, or just because they're in a hurry, maybe they've had the worst day ever, and they're trying not to be rude, but, but they come off ruder than they mean to, give grace, people. Where would you and I be without the grace of the Lord? And the grace of the Lord is not given so that it stops with us. It's given so that it flows through us into other people. So all of that that we just talked about is because of this, and this is awesome. Verse 17, we're going to talk about what it means to be a new man. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. It is the futility of the mind to have an issue with somebody and not go and talk to them about it. It is futility of the mind to willingly bring in disunity to a church body and be okay with it. That's how the Gentiles walk. That's how everybody out there that does not know the Lord behaves and acts according to themselves because now, uh, this might hurt some feelings, but the way that they can act that way is because they don't have a Lord or a king or a master because they are their own master. And so the Gentiles walk according to their own will, their own way, their own flesh. And Paul's saying that, listen, don't walk that way because you're not that anymore. Because you have a Lord, you have a master, you have somebody that died to save you, that bought you at a price, that has given you new life, that has you really a slave to. So don't walk according to who you think you are, walking to who Christ says you are. If we all knew who we were in Christ, and we all pushed in to be who we are in Christ, there would not be much disunity in a church. And that's just the bottom line. He says, 
uh, having their understanding darkened, being alienated be, uh, from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Unforgiveness causes blindness. There is no way around that. I'm not going to preach on unforgiveness this morning because that would make like the eighth time I've done it. But unforgiveness causes blindness. He goes further, he says, who being past feeling. Boy, this is a rough one. Have you ever gotten to the point with somebody where you're just like, you know what? I've tried. I'm done. They're going to be who they are. I'm just going to put on my happy face. I'm going to smile. I'm going to cheer them on. But I'm done. Right? You ever been there? Some of you need to start shaking your head, and you're not shaking your head. It's easy to get to that point sometimes, and it's easy with, with everything that's going on to get to that point. But listen to what happens to the Gentiles that do that. So it says, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Now, we would not say that church people do that, right? But you want to know what usually happens? We get a problem with somebody. It's personal. They say something they shouldn't. They should know better. They should be a mature Christian. They say something they shouldn't. It's hurtful. We give them benefit of the doubt, but we go home and think about it. And the more we think about it, we realize that really even giving them the benefit of the doubt, there's no way that they should have said what they said. It just shouldn't have happened. We try and show grace, but the more we think about it because we're hurt, the less grace we want to show and the more hurt it is that we walk into. And so then, then what happens is we, we, we hold on to that a little bit. And that thing gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And before you know it, Guess what we're working? Guess what we do? We tell somebody about it. Right? Not the Lord. Because, I mean, we've got to tell somebody. We've got to get somebody on our side. So we go tell somebody about it. Well, here's what usually happens. They say, I cannot believe so-and-so said that to you. You know what they said to me one time? Reinforcement. So now you're justified in why you feel the way you do. They're justified even further in why they felt the way that they have for so long. You bring a third person in. And before you know it, you got this little click of people that have all been hurt by this one person. And instead of all of those people going and showing one person grace, they're wreaking havoc in their lives without even knowing about it. They think that they are justified in the issues that they have with this person. And instead, they're literally passing around gossip after gossip after gossip. Some of it's flat-out slander because, let's just be honest, human nature is like to embellish things, like to exaggerate things. So in a very short amount of time from that little bit of hurt, that little offense, comes a well pool of gossip and hatred. And then we walk into church and we sit right next to that person and we raise our hands and we sing to the same God like God doesn't even see. They work all uncleanness with greediness. He goes further in verse 20. And I love this scripture. If you have this, I don't know what color pen you have, but underline it, circle it, make a square around it, draw stars, make this so that when you turn to this page, your eyes go here. But you have not so learned Christ. Why? Because Christ would never do that. Because if that's what you're acting like, then you haven't learned Christ. Christ would not do that. He says, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. This tells me, church, right here, that we put off concerning our former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Why? Because we're not that person anymore. Uh, some Bibles, for, for this thing here, they have this, this title that says, Take Off the Grave Clothes. You're no longer who you were. You don't have to respond to hurt with hurt. You can respond to hurt with love. Why? Because Christ did. Because the love of Christ, think about that. Christ did not die for anybody that loved him. That knew what it meant for him to die. Nobody understood it. His mother loved him, sure, but she didn't know why he was dying. 
Some of his disciples loved him, but they didn't know why he was dying. Christ didn't die for anybody that understood what was going to happen. He died for people that couldn't possibly love him the right way because they weren't born of the Spirit yet. He died for people that didn't love him. And so if he can die for people that don't love, that, that don't love him, we can certainly show grace to people that hurt us. As hard as it is. He says, and, and, and this, is, this is where the kicker comes in, is that in order to do that, we have to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Our flesh is going to tell us, they hurt you, don't have anything to do with them. The renewal of our mind and the spirit of God in us is going to say, they hurt you, but you've hurt me and I've forgiven you, so go forgive them. Right? Are we tracking so far? Not getting very many amens, so either I'm hitting on point or I'm, I'm so off base. Amen. I appreciate that one. He says, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. So let me ask you this, church. What, what did Christ do when they slandered him and mocked him? Did he retaliate? Did he reach out and, and, and with a, a Holy Ghost shove, push him all away? What did he do when they plucked his beard out? Did, did he call down thunder and have them all die? What did he do when they whipped him mercilessly? What did he do when the people that he came to minister to wanted to kill him? Did he retaliate? No. And this is the thing. Church, it is not going to get easier to love as we go about in this world. It's going to get harder. And so we have a chance right here, right now, to, to decide that we are going to be a church that walks in love. Yeah, it might be hard, but it's absolutely worth it. Why? Because with love comes unity, with unity comes power. We're trying to do it backwards. We're trying to wait for the power to love people and then maybe be unified. It doesn't work that way. We've got to do it God's way or else we're not going to ever do it at all. He goes further. He says in verse 25, these ones are hard. The, the little title over my Bible says, Do not grieve the Spirit. So therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So that's the first thing. Speak truth because you're all together. Second part, be angry and do not sin. Anger itself is not a sin. What you do with that anger either will be or won't be. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Take care of it quickly. You know how many miscommunications there are that turn into whole church splits because nobody wanted to talk about it? Take care of it quickly. If you don't understand something, I've said it time and time again, if I preach something that you don't understand, my door is always open. And if it happens to be shut, I will make time for it to be open because I care that much about the understanding that you and I have. That, that I didn't say something that you don't understand and that, that gives place to uh, something in your mind being built up and I have no idea what's going on. Vice versa. If I don't understand something, I should be able to come to you and ask you about something without defense mechanisms up and things like that. So the first thing is take care of it quickly. 27. Nor give place to the devil. Anger that is not taken care of gives place to the devil. It's as simple as that. He goes further. He says, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. If you take nothing else from the sermon today, take that and work on that this next week. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Be a grace speaker. Speak grace into the lives of those that you're with. Love is grace. Speak the truth in love, but have the grace that go behind it to understand that people probably did not intend what you think they did. And if they did, you'll find out about it really quickly. Verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Church, this is so serious of a matter that when there is disunity in the church, it grieves the Spirit of God. And I don't know about you, but I think about all the times the Spirit of God has ministered to me all the times 
that I've been broken and he's been my companion. All the times that I've been wounded and he's comforted me in my wounds. All the times that I, I have erred and he's there to pick me back up again. Think about all those times that he's worked on your behalf. The times when you were so overburdened with something that you didn't have the words to pray. And all of a sudden he gives you the words or he prays through you in a way that you don't understand. Think about that. He's the last person that we ever want to grieve. Verse 31, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Now, Paul's a pretty smart guy. Uh, In some areas, he's too smart. But he's writing to believers. And he doesn't say, uh, listen, this is probably not you guys, so I'm just going to say this for maybe those that aren't believers that are in your midst. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. He's writing to believers, and he's writing it in a way that he says, I know it exists. Get rid of it. And so for us today, he's not, like, if you're sitting back and you're trying to justify why this isn't for you, I'm telling you right now, you can't. This is for you. It's for me. This is what God has called us to do. He says in verse 32, to close everything up and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So I want you to think again about what it means to walk in the unity of the Spirit. What it means to have so many different personalities in this church. Age groups, work rela- uh, relations, uh, social circles, and how when they all come together, because we are not the same, there's going to be some friction. It's, it's good. Friction is not a bad thing. But friction that causes a fire is a bad thing. See, there's a friction that smooths edges. When you rub together long enough, all those ragged edges become smooth. That's what we're looking for. We're not looking for the kind of friction that you rub together so fast and so hard that sparks go flying and fires start. That's not what we're looking for. And so he says, be kind to one another. Start there. If, if your heart is so hard that you can't be kind to people, then I, I'm just going to be as blunt as I can. You have no business speaking to anybody on behalf of God. So start there. Start with kindness. Being tenderhearted means don't let your heart grow hard. Forgiving one another. I cannot tell you how important this is. The best way to put a shell between you and God, where you no longer feel his presence and you no longer hear his voice, is unforgiveness. Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Paul calls us to do this because Christ has already done it for us. And church, let me tell you what will happen if we do this. When we walk in unity, when we love each other enough to go to the people that have hurt us or people that we've hurt, because let's be honest, sometimes we know we hurt people and we just don't do anything about it. When we do that, it removes the devil from that relationship. It removes the impact the devil can have on both hearts in the relationship. It gets rid of his presence and it allows for the presence of God to come in to that place. It means that as we work to do this, that when we come in, a spirit of unity will exist in this church where we will have one mind and one purpose. It means that we'll start to see that we actually belong to each other and we all have gifts that we can give to each other. And instead of coming and looking at so-and-so and being like, well, I wish they would have been gone this week, we'll say, you know what? I'm so happy they're here because I need them. And we'll understand that as we grow into this body, as we grow, that this body will get bigger. It'll mean that when we come to worship, whether you stand and lift your hands or whether you worship God in your heart or whether you have your head bowed in just, in just reverence, which, by the way, is perfectly fine, that it will be a unity of worship under one God. That we will be one body and one faith worshiping one Lord. The reason that I'm preaching this today is because I believe that we're right on the brink of God doing some amazing things. And I don't say that in a let's hype up revival sense. I, I mean... What God spoke at the minister's meeting and how he worked 
I feel like we need to prepare for what's to come in a good way. But we can't wait for what's going to happen without taking responsibility for understanding that we need to make this a place that is unified. And it's not on so-and-so over there to unify it. It's on you, and it's on me. It starts with us. So there's going to be a song that's going to play, and, and I, I'm not opening up the altars in that sense. If you need prayer, of course, we'll always pray with you, but I want you to hear this song. It's called uh, The Unity Hymn. And listen to the words. And if you're comfortable with them, make it a prayer that you pray out of your own heart. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you would search our hearts. God, your word was written for a reason, so even the parts that are hard to hear are there for a reason. But Holy Spirit, I pray that we would love you enough to not grieve you, that we would honor you the way you deserve. God, forgive us for withholding grace. Forgive us, Father, for allowing offenses to become strongholds. Forgive us, God, for not forgiving as you have already forgiven us. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give this church the power to make a decision right here today that we will be a unified church, that we will consider the unity of the church to be more important than our own personal feelings, that we will put ourselves second put you first and realize that if we want the power of God to move fully and freely in this church, we've got to do it the right way, the way that you have told us. Let us love. Let us be unified. And may your power grow within us and within this church because of it. In Jesus' name, amen.